So if you go ahead and stand, we're going to do 2 Peter chapter 1, and then follow along with me if you would. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His great to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us the precious and very great promises, so that through them you may par- become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now skip down to 12. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, which you now know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by the way of a reminder, since I know that the putting off of, the, of my body will soon be, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to, at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. God, you are merciful and gracious. You're kind and loving toward us, and you certainly provide for us in your word. It is a good thing to have your word, to lead, guide, and direct our hearts. Lord, I pray for mercy and grace tonight. I pray for your word to be boldly proclaimed because you are worthy, because you're a good and merciful God, and you deserve all glory. I pray for the hearts of the hearers, Lord, that your name would be found to be excellent, and that what they have received in you or can receive in you is worthy and excellent because, God, you are great and glorious. We pause, we stop, we beg you to give us soft and tender hearts. We pray for your spirit to move in our own thoughts, that we would be changed by your word, and that we would know that we possess a great and glorious and majestic truth in your word because of who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm excited I got asked to, uh, to teach tonight. And with that came uh, a little bit of wrestling. Um, Scott and Gina Menez, Scott, senior lead pastor, lead teacher here, is uh, in California. They're coming back. They're probably in Atlanta. And it's also their anniversary. So if you get a chance, then wish them a happy anniversary. And Scott, as a gentleman, is going to take his wife out to dinner in the airport at Atlanta. I, I don't know if he's going to buy her a snicker for a dessert or what, but uh, I'm sure that, that'll be interesting. But uh, wish them a, a happy anniversary. I'm, I'm, they may be listening. If they are, turn it off. Enjoy your anniversary. I wrestle with what to preach tonight. Um, I wrestled with it because God's Word's great, and you can go a lot of different directions. Um, topical is not something I really enjoy. I don't really enjoy the topical. I like to look at topics in the, in the scriptures, but it's better to go verse by verse. You find it in context. It's a little bit, uh, a little bit better that way. Uh, Alan Cagle, Dr. Alan Cagle was our last seminary professor we just had. Tremendous mind. Really enjoyed learn, learning from him. Uh, he, 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 he taught at a level I understand. Maybe he didn't have that much of a tremendous mind if I could understand him. But, uh, 
but he, he was really, really good. One of the things he had us do, though, was, was read long passages of Scripture. We read Psalms 1 through 72 in one sitting. And then we had to write on it. And then 73 through 150, and then we had to write on it. And I found that to be very helpful. So my encouragement to you is, as I studied for this, one of the things that, that I did was I, I read long passage, passages of Scripture in order to find what we're in tonight. Um, your devotions, you can read long passages, and then smaller pack, passages dive into for depth. Just kind of a good, a good thought. Uh, Rudyard Kipling was a philosopher, theologian, uh, he said, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what, why, when, and how, and where and who. And that's kind of how we're going to go start off tonight, is we're going to start with the when, whys, hows, what, wheres. Sounds like a good, uh, sounds like a good cop to me. Uh, and I thought that was a good place to start. The, the, the who is pretty obvious, Peter, right? We're in Second Peter. So First Peter was a, was a this, this thing is huge. I, I want to walk around it, but... It's enormous. Um, trying to get a little comfortable up here, right? Um, so 1 Peter is, is a book about suffering. He writes to the church and says, you're going to go through great suffering. And, and it's kind of preparatory for the suffering they're about to go into. 2 Peter is, come, comes on the heels of 1 Peter. It's probably not a huge divide between how long it was written. Uh, we have some evidences of that. And then it goes right into false teachers. 2 Peter is primarily addressed about false teachers. And we're going to kind of start diving into that just slightly. But the intro to this is, is pretty amazing. Um, we're, we're talking about Peter, okay? So Peter is the same guy who denied Christ three times. He was a liar. He cut off the, the high servant's ear in the garden. He was brash. He was harsh. He was kind of the guy who modern day would be really hard-pressed to make him an elder in your church, you know? But Christ drew him out, brought him up, which was pretty amazing. Um, he's also the guy who, when you find him in Acts, is he's rallying the disciples, he collected the apostles, and he kicks off the book of Acts with a sermon, a really good sermon. And he preaches a couple of sermons in there that are really good. So what happened with Peter? Who is this guy? And, and why did he write us this last book? Because this is the last book we have recorded of him. Well, where? Where was he? First Peter, he's, he's in prison, in Rome. Now we're talking about, let's put it in context where we're at in, in history. History is amazing. I really like history. It's something I, I really enjoy. Uh, I, love, I love church history. I love just history in general. But this is the time of Nero. This isn't our shining history of Christianity. It's pretty ugly. And Nero's reigning, and this probably was written 64 to 68 A.D., and if you're a historian at all, you'll remember that in July 18th, 1964, Rome burns, right? In the night. And with Rome burning, people were already kind of weren't Nero's, he, he wasn't their favorite, favorite guy. You know, he wasn't that guy who was like, um, you would just sit there at dinner and go, oh, I really like that Nero guy. He's a, he's a great leader and we really, so now he looks really bad because Rome's burned. Now he's kind of got that embarrassment to it too. And they're like, Nero, you did this, didn't you? Well, he looks for a scapegoat, and who's he find? He finds an easy scapegoat, the Christians, right? So he starts going after Christians. And this is where Peter's writing his book. He's, he's sitting in prison. Well, he's getting three square, square meals a day. Not really, it's not really the prison I've seen. It's probably a little different. 
Um, which is funny because we also got to remember who else is writing during this time. So we have a guy named Paul, right? Remember Paul? Everybody likes Paul. Um, but Paul's sitting in prison during this time too. He's not doing so well. So we have what's called the prison epistles, four books that were written about the same time. And I, I almost, like a cartoon, I almost think about it like you got Peter over here in this one cell, and you got Paul over here, and he's like, hey, I'm writing to the Ephesians. And he goes, okay, you got that one covered. I, I, got, I got Colossae. Oh, I just wrote to them. Oh, well, okay, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take Asia Minor. Okay, all right. Well, I've been to Asia Minor too. I, I, couldn't, I, I wouldn't mind writing to Asia Minor. I can just picture those two guys, and, and there's all these other people sitting in a jail cell going, man, I, I just stole some stuff. What are these guys talking about? You know, who are these two guys over here? And, or maybe they pass each other going in that jail. They're like, hey, you're going in. I'm coming out. I got your back. Uh, you know, I'll bring you some food. Peter was probably married. First Corinthians t- tells us that. Uh, he had a wife. He doesn't mention her in here. In fact, someone else mentions her. He doesn't even mention her. Pretty interesting, just an interesting fact about him. It seemed like during that time, if you wanted to write a canonical book, a book that made the canon of Scripture, you had to go to prison to do it, right? Because uh, that's where all the, all the books were being written. Um, the recipients didn't change, 1 Peter. 1 Peter. If you turn over to uh, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, the, the recipients seem to be the same. We look and we see, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those who are called. Okay, so he's probably writing the same people. But this tone has kind of changed. Um, it's in the area of Turkey. And so he writes to them specifically and says, the what? Okay, Kipling would be happy because I'm still following his who, what, when, where, how. The what? The purpose of exposing, thwarting, and defending the invasion of false teachers into the church. We haven't even been 30 years after Christ, and there's already false teachers picking it up and running with it, right? And he says the how, to defend themselves against false teachers and the lies about the truth. John MacArthur said of this book, and anytime John MacArthur says anything, we kind of have to perk up, right? John MacArthur said about this book, this book is the most graphic and penetrating expose of false teachers in Scripture, only to be compared to Jude. And if you read Jude 2 and you read... Second Peter, you see even the same wording. Even the wording is very similar. It's pretty interesting. Um, Pastor Jason and I were talking before I came in tonight about how hard it is to wrestle with Scripture and, and to figure out what you're going to teach on. Because there's where you're at in your devotions. There's what God's teaching you. There's where the people are. There's where, you know, there's things that you want to look into more in depth. There's, there's all these different things that kind of pull at you. And, uh, and mine has been joy and despair. Uh, it's something that has grasped me for a couple years now. Uh, it's something that I've, I've kind of looked into, but not had the time to dive into. And I really wanted to go that direction with this, this teaching. But the Lord kind of pulled me away and put me into this. And I was kind of figuring out why. Okay, okay, God, this is something I, I just wrote a paper on it for, for, our, um, for actually uh, Alan Cagle's class. And, um, and, and counseling is kind of in my wheelhouse, so to speak, because um, I spent a lot of time in that in, when I was in law enforcement on a daily basis in people's homes. Uh, it's something that we've we had to spend time in uh, in study to know how to answer people. You know, you're in their home, you're in you're in their castle, and you're kind of trying to, to talk to them. But something I found with a lot of the Christians we were talking to, 
is they would, because, you know, me, I'm going to kind of bring up church. I'm going to bring up their foundation for truth and, and kind of slide my way into talking to them about why are they in this trouble or why are they going through this. And it always came back with Christians the same thing, without fail. Bad teaching. Bad teaching. It seemed to pile up on them. Well, I went to my, I went to my, my pastor, and, or I went to my priest, or I went to my, my reverend, or I went to bro, brother, a deacon, I went to the, and, and he told me, and I'm like, oh, man, that's, you know, that's not really the direction you probably should have gone with that. Um, so they had an inaccurate um, source for truth. Look at first, or Second Peter, back in Second Peter 1, look at verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. TV evangelists and cleverly devised myths with a, with a central focus. Um, Philippians 1, 15 and through 17. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry and others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Where is he? He's in prison. Well, we already talked about that. These guys always just go prison to prison writing scripture. It's pretty amazing. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my, in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, and in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So they both had the same problems. There's a lot of false teachers going around. We have the same thing, don't we? And a lot of the problem we have is false teaching. So it brings us to the scriptures we're in tonight. Okay, so did you get that little handout? Everybody's got that handout, right? Did you notice something about the handout? What did you notice the first thing you noticed about the handout? Um, is it backwards? Look at the scriptures and you say, mm, these are backwards. 12 through 15 and then 1 through 4. There's a reason for that. Let's dive right in. Therefore, I, always, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. You already know these truths, right? I'm, I'm preaching to the choir. We know that, that most of the faces I see tonight are people who are here on a regular basis. This is Wednesday night. You came out here and, and braved the cold weather in the winter. Okay, maybe not. But you're here because you want to be reminded. And he says, Peter says, I will always remind you. And so you could even circle, I will always, and then draw a line over to remind you. Even though you already know these truths. You already know them. What? What's the them? What he's talking about, what he's already talked about. We're going to talk about that in a minute. My wife and I joke a lot about people who retell stories. You know, there's that, there's that joke. Um, I know uh, I, I, one of our pastors said to me one time that they'll, they hold up fingers how many times they've heard the the story, like, because the joke is you keep on telling the same story. Well, we have those people in our family. I'm, I'm that guy sometimes where my wife looks over at me and just goes, oh. And then there's those people where you're like, is the fish going to grow a little more this year? Uh, let's see. It's Christmas. We, you know, we haven't seen them since last Christmas. Uh, or, or the Papa Wheelie stories, you know, the one that outdoes the next one. When you're a kid, you're, you would go by your buddies and kind of pop a wheelie. And there's always that Papa Wheelie story. It's like just that bigger story. He's not doing that. He's saying, I want to remind you. I want to remind you what's most important tonight. What's most important tonight is Christ, right? Keep going. And have been established in the truth, 
which is present with you. Well, that's good. It's present with you. And I consider it right, as long as I am on this earthly dwelling, to stir up by way of reminder. Well, why do you say by earthly? earthly? It's, almost like, it's almost like he knows he's going to die, right? John MacArthur said that he sometimes will bring out his old tapes and listen to himself because, one, he forgot what he taught on. Two, he forgot how he interpreted that scripture. He said because he's limited. Uh, I think the studies say that we only use about 10% of our mind, um, some of us less. Some of you are not using any of your mind right now. You're, you're somewhere else, which I understand. That may, that's probably, probably my teaching. That's okay. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Okay, this guy's going to die. And he's saying it. I'm, I'm dying. doesn't have a disease. As also the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Well, how do you make it clear to him? John 21, 19. God forecasted, as a true, meteor, true meteorologist, he said, hey, listen, you're going to die. You're not just going to die, you're going to be martyred. And so Peter, after pinning 1 Peter, picks up his pen one more time and says, I'm going to die, and it's important for me to write this to you again, to remind you one more time. Verse 15, And I also will be diligent at, that at any time after my departure, you will be able to recall these things to mind. So the purpose of it was to continue to remind ourselves. It's good, we need that. This is my goal for you tonight, to continue to remind you. I'm not telling you something you don't already probably know. Um, that's why, going back to John MacArthur, he preached through, he, it took him 41 years, but he preached through the whole entire Bible. It's pretty impressive. But he says the majority of almost everything he preached were the Gospels. We have some people in our church who were in his church for a long time, and they, they'll tell you he preached the Gospels. He constantly goes back to the Gospels because it's good to be reminded of God's Word, Right? It is what lights our way. And if you don't have a good light in your path, what do you do? I like to hunt. When I forget my, my light to go out to hunt, it's not a good walk out there. There's roots that grew overnight, I guess, and, and they just trip you up. Repetition. But with repetition comes um, that familiarity, and familiarity can breed contempt. So we have to be careful and cautious of that. First, uh, Philippians 3.1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So that's what we're doing tonight. We're safeguarding you. Um, I'm trying to watch the time, but if I run over, don't just get up and walk out. Just throw something at me. It's okay. It won't be the first time. I'm good with that. This continual remembrance is not to give you assurance. My goal tonight is not to give you assurance. I cannot. And nobody in this pulpit should ever try to give you assurance. It's Christ alone who gives assurance through his Holy Spirit and through his word. So my goal is not to assure you, but it is to, to help reassure what is truth. Uh, look at uh, 9 through 10, verses 9 through 10. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted, this is 2 Peter 1, 9 through 10, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from the former sins, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. That's pretty good. Um, the New American Standard says, uh, be certain about your calling, about, that he has call, he has, about his calling and his choosing you. I like that. Be certain about his calling and his choosing you. How do you do that? Well, you preach the gospel to yourself every day. That's a great place to begin. 
Every day you preach the gospel to yourself. Because the same thing that, that saved you is the same thing that keeps you. And that's the gospel. Nothing else. Your fruit does not keep you. The fruit is the righteousness of Christ in you. That's the beauty of it. Uh, we just went through Christmas, right? Okay, so how many of you put up Christmas trees in your, in your house? You don't have to be ashamed. It's okay. If you put up a Christmas tree and you celebrate Christmas, we're not going to... Okay, you get those people and write them down and kick them out of the church. We, it's okay to put up a dead Christmas tree in your home. But Christianity can be that way, right? Christianity is a lot of times that, that you put up a, a dead tree in your house and you decorate it. And sometimes our Christianity is that same way, where we, we are like that dead tree and we ornately decorate it with, with pretty little balls and lights and try to make it look pretty. And that's our Christianity. It's fake. And inside we're dead. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you're dead men's bones. And, and how do we dress it up? We dress it up like a Christmas tree where you put stuff on it and try to make it look better. Except Christ. Except Christ, who is the lifeblood. Through his blood you may have life. So that you can rest easy at night and you don't have to worry about the, the ornate things to hang on yourself. Because all those are just a hand to Christ anyways. They are his own glory for his own excellence, for his own praise. They're not for us. We walk away from it and we say, this is for you, great God and Savior. I'm grateful for my salvation. I lay in bed at night and I sleep soundly unless I have sin. And then I try to repent, try to make those things right for his own glory. It's about his glory, right? That's the beauty of this. And that's why I'm excited about what we're going through tonight. Because it is about His own glory. Second Peter is the defense of His own glory. And I want to be committed to that same glory, just as you want to. So if we bump back up and we, we've reminded ourselves who we're, we're talking about, let's go up to verse 1, and let's, let's see who, who we're hearing from. It says Simon Peter. He starts by Simon Peter. Why does he write Simon Peter? Isn't his name Peter? Simon? Well, that was his old name. Remember? Christ renamed him. He said, we're going to call you Peter. Well, Simon can have a couple different meanings. Alistair Begg says Simon, is, another name for Simon is Shaky. Old Shaky. That's what they should have called him, Old Shaky. That guy was, look at Old Shaky. It also can mean uh, to be heard. Um, but he renames him. Simon, Shaky, Rock. He was Shaky, now he's a rock. Well, why is he a rock? He didn't seem like a rock back in the, in the Gospels. Well, if we keep going, we'll find out why he's a rock. He says, a bondservant and apostle. Well, those are two different thoughts. An apostle was somebody who saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ, ascension. Those were the people who were right there. Um, we used to call it in college. I went to Bible college, studied Bible. Uh, and, and we used to call it the spit pit. It's where you guys are. The, the up close, up front, you got to see what was going on right in front of you. And, and that's where he was at. He was right in the front. He saw the whole thing, but he's also a bondservant. He calls himself a slave to Jesus Christ. That's pretty humble. That's the humility that, that Peter now has. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. To receive a faith, to, this, another way to, to translate this would be having obtained. If I, if I, if I mess this up, Eris active participle. If I mess this up, Brian, you can come spank me later. I'm trying. Greek students, we, we do our best, right? But 
it, it has the idea of having obtained something. He didn't go get it. He obtained it. It was given to him. It was a gift. So you could write gift underneath that. Having a gift of the same kind that he has. Same kind as ours. Who's he talking about? He's still talking about all those other people who are apostles and, and disciples and, and the people who are in Acts. You've got the same thing we got. You're just working it out in a different way. In other words, he had a special job of writing and doing what he did, but you're doing, you have the same Savior. You have the same Christ living in you. There's no difference between you and Peter. How does that grab you? Jesus Christ, he's the same. The Holy Spirit is the same. That same Holy Spirit who indwelt Peter brought him to the writing of this scripture is the same one who interacts with you. That ought to push you into understanding God's truth in your heart and a love for Almighty God and Savior like this guy did. How he wrote us a book in his last, his last book. I, it's important for me to write this to you. The same kind as, as Peter has is, is jaw-dropping, but he keeps going. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. This has been preached about in so many different churches. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. We must remember that, and this is the only thing I'll say about it, is that where is this guy? He's in, oh, that's weak. He's in prison. Why is he telling us grace and peace be multiplied to you? I would think that he'd be saying, as I would, hey, I'm in prison. Bring me a cookie or something. This isn't very much fun. I'm in prison because I preach the gospel. He doesn't say that. He writes and says, grace and peace be multiplied to you on the outside. What does he have that's so great that he can write something like that to us on the outside? When his death is imminent, John 21, 19, Jesus told him, you're going to die. This is a letter from a dying man. And there it is. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's the goal for us. Grace and peace be multiplied to us. Now to the crux. Now this is, this is where your, your pen needs to come out. John Piper calls this one of the most dense passages of Scripture concerning power of godliness in all the Bible. I like John MacArthur. I like John Piper. When those guys say something like that, we listen, right? This is a dense piece of Scripture, three and four. So we're going we're gonna to blow through this the same way I did in my study. And I'm going to show you how I studied this. And then you can take this as a template. I like templates because it helps me go on to the next time I can remember how I did it the first time, right? So if you have a pen with you, let's walk through this nice and slow. Verse 3. Seeing his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. There's a good thought right there. You could put a circle around that whole entire thought. The whole thing. Circle that whole thing. Seeing that his divine power is granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now circle divine power. Small little circle around it. And you can draw a line, a little arrow, over to granted. His divine power has been granted to us. It's the source is his divine power. That's God. Has been granted. It was given to us. It's a gift. Merry Christmas. A gift. A free gift. Now draw another line. Everything. So you should have a line, circle, divine power, line over to granted, 
and over to everything. What does everything mean? Um, this took a lot of research, um, much deep Greek exegesis. It means everything. Wow. Wow. That's, that's a hard one, right? You don't have to go to a great church preacher like John MacArthur's church. You don't have to go to a conference to get what's the next great thing. You don't have to be a part of Promise Keepers. You don't have to, you don't have to, have to, have to. You've been granted everything. Now, how have you been granted everything is the question, right? If you've been given it all, didn't I just say that you have the same Jesus Christ that Peter had? We have him, and we have a full revelation of him in this, in this book. We don't have to go anywhere else, false teachers. Now, pertaining to life and godliness. Life and godliness is, is bold in your, in your re re reading, right? It should be, or circle it if it's not. What was given? Life, salvation, eternal life, godliness. That is the goal of the gift. The goal of the gift is godliness. And how do we get there is, is what we're going to look at. This is a restoration. The godliness is the restoration. This is the part where we can go all the way back to uh, pro-evangelism, if you like big words. Genesis 3.15, where it talks about um, that Christ was a seed. Do you remember the first gospel that was ever preached? You can go back there, and this is him saying, this makes up for, for Adam. This new Adam. This, this is the final this is it. This is what we have. We have the seed that we've been waiting on. Not a seed. We have a singular all through the Old Testament. The seed. The seed of Jesus Christ, who is the Savior. We don't have Muhammad or, or anything else. We have a risen Savior we serve. That ought to light you up. That ought to get you excited. Now keep going. Through. Circle that one twice. How do we have it? Through the true knowledge. Circle knowledge. Now, knowledge is specific. Uh, epigonosco. Uh, epigonosis. This is, this is a, a deep knowledge. Of him, a little arrow from knowledge to of him. Knowledge of who? Of him who called, summoned, draw, draws. You can write summoned or draws us. That's what he does. He regenerates us. He draws us to him. He calls you. Hey, Hey, Sean, come here. Sean, Sean, go away from the world. Come on, come on, come back, come back to me. Hey, Ryan, come on, come on. He draws us by his own glory and excellence. That's how he draws us. Your kindness leads me to repentance. That's where we have to be careful as, as parents, where we balance the discipline and the kindness, right? Your kindness draws me to repentance. Don't make this too easy, but idols. Anytime you glorify anything other than God, because he ultimately cares about his glory the most, he is a true hedonist. He can glorify himself, and it's right. That's what pushed Oprah out of church. She said she never wanted to be a part of any, anything that were a God who would glorify himself and want everybody to glorify him only, so she left church. Scary thought, right? That's what draws people away from God is he wants to glorify himself. You are here to glorify him, whether it be in your death, in eternal destruction, or whether it be in life through Jesus Christ, our Savior, through the glory and excellence. For by these, what? Draw, draw a line from these to glory and excellence. This is plural, these two things. He has granted, there's the gift again, to us precious 
magnificent promises. Now those are two good adjectives, right? What are they, where should you draw the line there? Pretty obvious, promises. Precious and magnificent. Turn to Matthew 13, quickly. This isn't Bible drum, I'm not going to make you stand up and whoever gets it first, read it. I'd probably lose, even though I had a marker there. Matthew 13, verse 44. I love this passage. I taught, I taught on this not too long ago, and, and this is, just resonates with me. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And for the joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Pretty, pretty good treasure in that field, right? Sells all that he has. Verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had, and he bought that pearl. This is precious. This is exactly how he describes it. Magnificent. This is the promise. The promise, another word for another descriptive word could be excellent. This is the excellent promise that we've received. Next part of the verse, so that. Two circles around so that. So you have two circles, you should have two circles around through. Two circles around that next word by. So through the knowledge of him who called us by, two circles around by. And then now two circles around so that. Now these are all explaining, explaining what's said previously. So that. What's the purpose of these promises? By them, obviously you could draw a line if you wanted to around them, from them to promises, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Time out. We are not absorbed into his deity. Postmodernism loves to have that kind of religion where we become a deist. We become a deism ourselves. We are a God in and of ourselves. Uh, Joseph Smith. There's a lot of different people who have come along and said that they are deists. They, they want to be a God of them, their own selves. When I die, I will, I will go and I will reign like an anthill somewhere that's kind of like earth. And I will set into motion the things that go on there. All these weird beliefs, right? We don't believe that we become a part of of who God is in the fact that there's the deity. But he allows us to be partakers, to become partakers of the divine nature. Scriptures say, brothers of Jesus Christ. Adopted into a forever family. These are powerful thoughts. You carry the same bloodline that he has because you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no difference. Once you're adopted into his family, there's no cutting off that adoption. It's a beautiful thing. You're forever his. He owns you. And you're willingly there to serve him. How beautiful is that? Let's keep going. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust and desires. Now here's where it gets a little bit into the rubber meets the road. All right? So escaped... Circle that, draw a little line, and you can write above that, from corruption. You escaped from corruption. Well, worked in law enforcement, 
when someone escapes, they don't escape just from something, they escape to something, right? They're running from, usually us, to something, and usually they get caught. But that's another whole subject. Good luck, guys. Hopefully everybody out there tonight is being safe. I pray for those guys. I pray that you pray for them. Uh, another topic for another night. But you escape to something. So you can, you can write to, and now you're going to draw a line. That line is going to go all the way back up and around to godliness. You escaped to godliness through Jesus Christ. You can draw another line. You escape to draw a line all the way around to divine nature. That is in the world by lust and desires. You escape to something. You escape to paradise because of Jesus Christ. Heaven isn't beautiful because it's heaven. Heaven is beautiful because Jesus is there. Jesus is the reason why it's radiant. God is, is sitting on his throne and you are invited there by someone you can call brother because you've been adopted. That ought to just make you stop. Because when we sin, we drag that back to a place we shouldn't. And we all sin, right? But it ought to be continuous sanctification, or as we call it, progressive sanctification. Your life should evidently, by all intents and purposes, have fruit that continues to get better. Pretty simple thought. And we don't mean a moral excellence. 1 Peter 2, 19 and 20. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Who's this talking about? False teachers. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes the, a person, to that he is enslaved. For after, excuse me, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled to them and overcome. The last has been become greater than worse for them. <clears throat> I read that because we want to keep it in context. We want to still keep in, in our thoughts, in the very fore forefront of our thoughts, that this is about false teachers. This book is still written about false teachers. He does all this, 1 through 15, in prep preparation. This is just 1 through 15, and we didn't even get into the, the meat of, of 5 through, through 11 there. Right? We could, we could have continuing education in this. More sermons, right? Or you could pick this up. The reason why I partially did this is so that you could go in between there and fill in the gap. And then you can go on and, and look at this letter and see the beauty of who, Paul, who Peter is today in this, in this text. How he's still that same guy, but he's different. He's not the same as he was because he's being sanctified, and it's progressive. He, know, he knows Christ more and more intimately, just like we should. I want to close with some, some ending thoughts, and, and I hope you stay on board for them because they're important. 2 Peter 3.18. He closes his last... How would you close your last letter to somebody? If you knew it was the last thing you are ever going to write, how would you close it? It would be your final thoughts, right? Cling to this. Well, this is what he says. 2 Peter 3.18 But grow in the grace 
and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's a pretty good way to close the letter. That's kind of our goal, right? Grace and knowledge. How do we get knowledge of God's Word? Well, we just read about it. You have a piece of paper there that, that is how I studied it. You can go back to that and see how do we grow in, in the knowledge of God? Through His Word. He leads us in His Word. You don't need new revelation. You don't need anything else other than what you have in front of you right now. You don't need a novel thought. When we teach from up here or from there or for, to your children or to to fellow co-workers, you don't need anything novel. Now, you may want to reword it in a certain way, so, so it's, it's, it's in a way where it will catch their attention, and I hope I've done that tonight with you. You want to say it in a way that you can reproduce the same thing that Peter's saying in a way that will grasp them, pull them in, and say, what is this? And your progressive sanctification, you should be growing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The same way I hope I am. It's imperfect, right? No one in here is perfect. Nobody has a perfect marriage, right? No one does. We don't have to act like it. But when false teaching rises up, we should be ready and equipped and have the knowledge to be able to, to tear it out, but with grace. We don't agree with everybody who, who preaches. We don't agree with everybody who preaches in this town. But we certainly certainly don't need to spend the time to go looking for counterfeit bills. All we need to do is look at the real thing. In law enforcement, we don't go around looking at false bills and go, oh, we've got to memorize every new thing that's going out. Uh, it, was, it would have been ridiculous. We would have never been able to do the, do the job. But you just know what the real one looks like, how it feels, everything about it. How well do you know this? The last words of Peter are pretty important. Well, what does history tell us? We don't know exactly how he died, but church history tells us that he was crucified upside down on a cross. Ouch. Okay, the beauty about crucifixion was, and I, if I could say if there's any beauty about it, the beauty about it was you, you suffocated. The beauty of it was it ended because you couldn't lift yourself any further. They would break your knees, and so you couldn't pull yourself up and get another breath. Or once they broke your, your knees, you could pull yourself up with your arms and you could breathe. Church history tells us that he asked to be inverted on a cross because he wasn't worthy to be hung the same way his Savior was. We don't know if that's true or not, but if that was, he would not have had the, the luxury of suffocation. And church history also tells us it took him three days to die. And his last words were similar to the last words of his book. Wow. That guy really believed, didn't he? He came a long way from three lies. I don't know the guy. To three days hanging on a cross upside down. To imminent death being told by Jesus Christ, you're going to die. If these words seem foreign to you, and you question what we were talking about, then... It's possible that you do not know and have a form of moralism. And this talk has just recharged or reinterest in helping you make a good go of doing something to improve yourself. Then what you have is not biblical Christianity. Or it could be that you're a baby Christian. That's a good thing. And you're just being introduced to the greatness 
and, and magnitude of what has happened to you by the divine outstretched hand of Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. Well, now you've been further equipped. You've been reminded. And you can continue to remind yourself. In my house, we have what's called airplane baths for our kids. Did y'all ever have those? Your wings and your tail? Sometimes we make Christianity like airplane baths. You come in, you get a quick wash, and you try to go to bed. The purpose of this tonight is that you take a huge dive into the pool of divine grace. And then when you come up on the other side, you see not who you are, but you see the beauty and the excellence of Jesus Christ. And that you've been saved out of wretched lusts and desires of the world. We're not perfect, but we're being sanctified, right? And that's what we take into the world. Here's a quote. A couple thoughts and we're done. If you consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature, this is C.S. Lewis. I'll go ahead and tell you that. This is C.S. Lewis, quote. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and abomination when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offering of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Blaise Pascal, C.S. Lewis, John, Jonathan Edwards, John Piper, all these guys have used this, this quote because it's amazing. Are you settling for a, a mud pie in the slums when you can have a holiday at the sea? That's what Jesus Christ offers to us. This is a springboard into the glory of who God is. Or is it possible that you're just an ornate Christmas tree, always working to see, to be seen as worthy, while all the while under you is the last unopened gift. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You walk away from the Christmas tree and there's still one gift underneath it. And your kids and everybody always wonders, who's that last gift for? It's always the last gift. Are you that Christmas tree that is dead in your trespasses and sins, ornately trying to make yourself look good on a daily basis when the Christmas tree underneath it has the beautiful gift that is free offered to you? Are you the recipient of that gift where you continue to work to be what you believe a Christian looks like? Or are you a Christian that has forgotten the gift that's underneath you and try to make you, yourself into that dead tree, hanging what looks to be beautiful on it? Jesus Christ has already done the work. We rest in Him. That's why His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are, are so good to us. You are so good to us in forgiving us of our sins past, our, our sins present, and our sins future. And we rely wholeheartedly with unreserved, no reservations on your Son, Jesus Christ. We have no other hope. There is nothing else we can put our trust and faith in, but we fall 
at the Savior's feet. We repent of our works that we think are righteousness that turn out to be filthy rags. And we ask you for your divine grace in our lives to go with us now to be wise winners of souls, to continue to remember the majesty and the excellence of your promises, that we would turn to your godliness and your divine nature and rest in those things because the work is done. We are grateful for you. We put our hope and trust in you. Help this church to love you and to love its neighbors that we might see souls saved just as an axe. To your name be the glory and all praise. In Jesus' name, amen.